Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. I get to interview not only an incredible friend and a sister in the Lord, as I love to say, but the mere fact that she is my sister-in-law, but I like to call it sister-in-love because she is one of the most incredible human beings I seriously have ever met. And finally, finally, she is an author. And I've been begging her for years to start writing books because this is the type of woman that sends you a card in the mail and you cry. And she- <laughs> only one I seriously mean this you're the only person I know that can send me something in the mail with a card and then I fall every time and something just like uh, cuts through my soul when you speak to me in words and and so I said why are you not writing a book so finally she wrote a book Lori Powers thank you Tina I could say back at you for everything you said you have definitely inspired me Actually, are you going to say what you really said to me? (laughs) (laughs) Write the damn book, I told her. (laughs) And I did. I did. Yep. I said, you better put that in the book. But she's like, maybe I better not. So, but (laughs) you have to get her book. Her book is called What Once Was Hidden. What Once Was Hidden by Lori Powers. You can actually download it off of Amazon. But we're going to talk about that book in a minute. But it's so funny. I mean, getting to busy people together. Lori is busier than I am. I've been trying to get her to uh, meet with me in person to do this podcast. And I'm like, forget it. We're not even going to try to meet in person. We're just going to do it on Zoom. So here we are. I'm sitting in the Rochester, Michigan Public Library. Once again, we're doing a podcast. And I know you're at home here in Michigan. And the funny thing is, we're only like an hour apart from each other, which is hilarious. (laughs) I know, too funny, but I'm so glad you're on. Uh, Lori uh, grew up in Detroit. She's been married to my brother. We have to talk about that because I don't know how you've been stayed married to him for 35 (laughs) years. And how many grandchildren do you have now? We have seven. Oh my gosh, so seven, the lucky number seven. I'm so jealous. I only have one so far. I can't wait to have seven. My kids got to get to work, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Don't push it. Yeah, one one at a time, right? Uh, Photographer for 14 years. We're going to talk about that. Uh, You've been on several mission trips, which I know I've read a few of the stories here in your book, uh, which is, it's kind of like a devotional of all your journals. We'll talk about that. Uh, You've been in the United States and other countries and now a recent author. And did you ever think that you would ever hear those words that I'm an author? Uh, You know, I've always heard the words in my head, you're a writer, but then to say you're an author, it's just, it has a little bit more something to it that you feel like, oh, this is actually something that's going to be out there for people to read um, instead of just in your journals, you know, because like I, like I say in my book, in my introduction, um, I, I say, you know, I have been writing since I was in seventh grade. I still have all those journals packed in my hope chest. I have all of them. And so um, to be able to go back and look at life 
and see what has transpired over your life and to be able to see where, um, especially after I became a Christian, to be able to see how God used things in your life mm. when you didn't even realize he was, is kind of really cool. Wow. Okay. So I think this uh, series is actually going to be called Be a Writer. And it's so interesting. You said since seventh grade, because that's actually when I started journaling and I don't even know where it came from to journal. Right. And I was the same thing. I never thought I was going to be an author and, and write a book, but tell me, what was that transformational moment for you back then to start journaling? Is that something that you saw someone do? I mean, do you remember why you started journaling specifically? I think for me, it was that um, I needed an outlet. I needed an outlet to express myself. And um, I, I really would keep a lot of things inside. And I started to realize if I was writing something afterwards, I'd realize, oh, that really felt freeing. Or that felt, um, there, there's something in my spirit that changed because I put it on paper. You know, whether it was something really good or something really, you know, the good, the bad or the ugly, I just noticed that it's a great outlet for expressing what's inward and getting it outward. Um, because you, we all know that a lot of times people, if they keep things inside, we call it the beach ball effect. You stuff it down, it's going to come out somewhere, mm. you know? Well, so it's, and, and the fact that um, one of the other things that I realized is that um, when I started to understand my... Um, my position, my position in Christ and thinking about God, he's, he's a creator, right? So I thought, Oh, he gave me one of those genes. I got to do something with it. You know, I just, I need an outlet. And so that's been something that's um, always been impressed upon me that go share that gift, you know, go share that gift. And for the longest time, I was just stuck in fear of doing a book, you know, because especially when you're taking it from your journals, that's pretty personal mm -hmm. because like you said, everyone has a story. And what's really cool is when you realize that your story always intersects with his story. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much beauty in that. Yeah. We all are storytellers and we exactly. just get those stories out because our stories can transform people's lives. And it's right. so amazing because if, if any of you, and I know my husband and I just started up again with Christian counseling. And so I think the step number one to be a writer, because we all need to do this, you just said is we need an outlet to express ourselves. And there's mm -hmm. something about pen to paper. And yes. I think we get so uh, inundated with technology, Lori, that we're all typing or on our phones. But I'll tell you, even at church or different functions, I usually always have a journal with me, always. That's right. Because I know if I use different color, I like to use colored markers, but right now I have this <laughs> pen. But at that point, I like to change up the colors and that creative type because we all are creative. Like you said, God is the creator. We all are creative. I told myself that lie for years that I'm not creative, right? Mm -hmm. That's a lie. So if you're saying that, that's a lie because he's the creator and he's creative. So he gives us everything that he has. So you are creative. And so you had that outlet to express yourself. And I love that. So talk to that person that's like, you know what, Lori, when I pick up a blank journal, I don't even know how to get started. So how do I even get started? You know, I think if you look at your life 
and you really, really open your eyes to what's going on around you, you'll see there's a story everywhere you go. Every person has a story and God is going to intersect you with those people. So if you feel like I don't have anything to say, I can't tell you how many times somebody has said something to me and had no clue how it impacted me. And it was, it maybe was sandwiched in a thought that they wrote down or a sentence that they said, and it stuck with me for the, for, for years. And I always think, how many times have I done that to somebody? How many times, you know, Tina, you have you done that? You know, I mean, think about how many times you've said one sentence and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. It doesn't have to be this big poetic thing. It can just be a simple statement. So if you have that in you, write it down. And then if, if you're a believer, say to God, say, okay, th- because this is what I did with my book. I took about two and a half years and went through all my journals and I took a picture of anything that I felt could be developed into a story. But then I put it through a second process and I said, all right, God, what did I miss while I was living that story that you were teaching me and show me how that connects to you. Show me the, the, the collision between heaven and, and earth. Show me that collision. And then the stories just became illuminated. Like he just illuminated my stories. It was him all along. And there was times before I even became a believer, I didn't realize that. Wow. It's so so cool. That is really cool because what I heard you say is let God illuminate those stories. And it is really interesting because Mm -hmm. I'll hear a speaker. I just heard a speaker the other night and her story illuminated my story. And I just started writing like crazy because I knew I was going to share a portion of that to my next uh, online mastermind group because I knew uh, it really hit me hard. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And then we had a speaker last night, same thing, hit me like a ton of bricks. And it became my message today online because I'm always looking for ways to inspire. So allow God to illuminate those stories. So I love this. I love because so many people ask me, Tina, I want to write a book, but I don't even know where to get started. I mean, what a great way to get started just to start journaling. Right. Journaling. And you know what else? If you really think about it, um, like, I, I don't know how many of your viewers um, have watched. Um, I, I'm a big movie buff. I get a lot of ideas from watching movies. Um, in the movie, uh, Little Women, um, the main character, Joe, wants to write. And she starts writing these things that have nothing to do with her. And the man in the story who encouraged her says, write about what you know, write about your life. You know, everybody, that's why everybody has a story, you know, because when you think about it, if you write about what you've lived or what you've experienced, think of the the power that's in that. Because your story is is exclusive to you. It might be similar to someone else's, but it's exclusive to each person. I love it. And you took your story. So, so many people will say to me, well, Tina, my story is not that exciting and, and boring. You know, yeah, maybe it is to you, but it's not to somebody else. But you right. took those stories. So talk to that process because you took those stories and you expounded on them so that they would help to uh, transform people's lives. And that's what I, I kept reading over and over and over with this. It's, it's somewhat of a devotional, which is what I was yeah. seeing because every day I could pick up a new story and it's like, whoa, that hit me at like a ton of bricks. And so I would highlight certain areas uh, of your book that really spoke to me. So talk to that person right now that says, well, how do I expand 
on that story. How did you do that? How do you recommend people to do that so that it can change people's lives? Well, I think first of all, um, whether, whether you're a believer or not, um, I love this. I love that whether we believe in God or not, he believes in us and he is connected with us and he wants to be a part of our life. So whether we invite that in or not, it's still going to happen. So for me, as a believer, what I did is I took my stories and I got with his word and I would start reading his word and I'd be like, wow, that reminds me of when this went on in my life. And I'm reading about something that happened 2000 years ago and this is how God showed up in that. And then when I was writing my book, I took those and connected those. I should say he did because really he's the one who did all the illuminating. You know, I named the book What Once Was Hidden because for two reasons. One, because all of these journals have been hidden in my hope chest for years. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, I'm, I'm an old granny lady now, you know? <laughs> and I started writing in seventh grade. Much older than me. <laughs> Wait, we're hot grannies, aren't we? <laughs> but I got that. And then the other thing is, is that um, he illuminated, like we're talking about. He took those stories and then he illuminated those. So there was like that two-part process. But I just feel like... Um, sometimes we get stuck in the whys of why is that happening to me? And, you know, where is my big break going to happen? Or where is my dream going to happen? Well, every single day that we wake up is exactly where God wants you to be. And he's giving you a purpose. So if we're, if we have the mentality and we're looking for our purpose, we're going to find things to be able to share with people. You know, like right now, I was just telling my mom, you know, you know, my mom, she's, we had to put her in a nursing home. And um, my mom has this, this beautiful spirit about her. And she, I told her, I said, mom, get out of your room. And there's, your purpose isn't over. And even though she has dementia, she still has a smile and she's mm -hmm. still kind. I said, go spread that amongst the people here. There's people here who have nobody. And you could be their purpose. You could be their smile or their kindness for today. I love yeah. that. Isn't it? Sorry. It's so true. It's never too late to, to live out your purpose. In fact, John Maxwell, his father, I believe he said he's 99 now. And wow. so when he went into the nursing home, he took it upon himself to be the chief greeter. So he is always that person to greet the very new people. And John would say, Dad, why do you do that? And he's like, because no one else will. And so he just took it upon himself to be that chief greeter. And, and you know what? To this day, he cannot, he's bedridden, uh, but he can pray for people uh, That's right. in, uh, in person or in text. So they all are texting him. He's full-time busy still. He's never retired. He was a pastor and he's uh, full-time busy still. And I'm like, this man gives me so much hope and desire to want to grow old because of what he's doing there in the nursing home. And I just thought that was so cool. You said something, Lori, something so big. You said, whether you believe in God, he believes in us. That, that hit me like a ton of bricks because I remember years ago before I was 18, and I don't fully know your story, uh, but I didn't believe in myself. I was, when I was 16, um, in, 
I, you were in my life back then. Uh, the whole family didn't even know. I wrote a suicide note. I really didn't even think that I should be living. And it was, it was a real dark time for me. I didn't know anything about God until my sister, Cindy, uh, told me about him when I was 18 years old. And, you know, still, it took me a lot of years to get to the point, like, and still sometimes I get those limiting beliefs, right? That, yeah. that creep in. And it's like, no, I believe in you. So if you want to borrow someone's belief, borrow it from God, the almighty God. But talk to me about that. What was your transformational moment, Lori, to realize that God believes in you? Um, for me, well, I, I grew up in what I would, I would call a religious home, <clears throat> but I didn't understand the difference between religion and relationship. And, um, for me, the transforming moment was, um, I, my second born son was born with bradycardia, which is, um, low heart rate. And it's related to, um, you know, sudden infant death syndrome. And, um, I had worked for a newspaper and they had done an article on the monitoring that you do for somebody who had, for a child who has that. And somebody at a local church saw that article and had been through the loss of a child from almost the same thing, went through the phone book, looking up every single powers to find me, to encourage me. And through that, I mean, this, this is talk about somebody impacting your storyline, right? Through that, she invited me to come to this, this women's Bible study, and I started going, and I was like a sponge because I had heard about God, I had heard about Jesus, but it was more formality, and I started to hear about relationship, and I thought, that makes sense. You know, why would God create all these people and then not want to have a relationship with them. It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So I started to really seek that out. And then I was sitting in a service one morning and they were talking about what is, on, it, it, it's, it was kind of a funny analogy, but they were talking about this man who had this, this dome over a tortilla chip and he put it over it because it meant something so much to him. And the whole message, to make a long story short, was what is your tortilla chip? What's that thing you worship? What's that thing you, you display for all to see? And then they started to share about who you are and how you relate. If you know Jesus is going to be completely different, you're going to impact your world in a completely different way. Do you want that? And I can just remember sitting there going, Oh, yes, I do. I do. And it, it's been transformational. It's changed my marriage to that brother of yours that you wonder how I've been married for 35 years to. We'll talk about that stuff. <laughs> um, it's changed how I view, um, well, because I have a son that's estranged, it, it's changed how I view people who are um, in relationship with um, or have prodigals. It's changed how I viewed myself. Even going back through my journals, um, there were times, I'll be quite frank, I did not like who I was. I didn't like what I saw, and it was humbling. It was really humbling. I know I've heard you, Tina, talk many times about being um, a boss and going from being a person who was a certain way to a person who is now you're learning to be a different way. Um, and I know that a lot of that has to do with your faith, you know, and, and just the transformational things you've learned through John Maxwell and, and, and so many other things. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we can choose. We can choose to be in one camp or the other. 
and we can choose to be in a camp that, you know, where we're listening to a lot of lies, or we can choose to be in a camp where we listen to truth. And so one of the things that um, I started to realize is I had to um, replay and determine which of the tapes that I've been hearing about myself were true and which ones weren't true. And one of my favorite things to tell young women when I work with them is I want you to go stand in front of a mirror. And I think I talk about this in my book, stand in front of a mirror. And I want you to say these words to yourself. The truest thing about me is what God says about me. Not what people say, not what your boyfriend says, not what, not what anyone else says. And then the second part of that is go find out what he says about you. And that's where his word comes in. You're not going to find truth unless you seek it. You have to find, you have to look for it. Yeah. You said we can uh, choose to live in a camp of lies or Mm -hmm. truth. Like I'm picturing a camp of a bunch of lies. Right of a bunch of truth, you know? And same thing is, you know, you can uh, choose to live in a camp of criticism and negativity or a, you know, camp of a good attitude and positivity. Like it's your choice where Mm -hmm. you're going to live with that Mm -hmm. thought. And, you know, I actually had to train myself that if it's a negative thought uh, or fear thought that it's not from God right? Mm-hmm. It's totally not from God. And so I think uh, just training yourself through that process. And what I read from you is uh, step three to being a writer is don't be stuck in why things happen to you. Um, because things things don't happen to you. They happen through you for other people. And I tell you, there's so many times that I just get so mad, Lori, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. You know, we just had um, a bunch of our uh, water heaters break and some pipes broke in our school in Florida just, you know, yesterday and today this has been going on. And of course we had this big guest speaker and I'm trying to keep a smile on my face. Right. And I'm like, this, this didn't happen to you. It happened through you for other people because you're going to use as a story and I always tell myself it's just stage stuff it's just stage stuff you know and that our microphones were breaking and we had to get you know our computer guy up and you know and then today I almost get hit by a car coming out of the gym by this kid that had the music blaring and and so I had two choices to make right I could either be I could get stuck in be critical and negative, or I could stay positive, right? Choose that. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is just stage stuff. And then of course, today I'm on a mastermind and I use that story today. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping that helped the people that were on the call to say, you know what? Every day I'm driving to work and I'm mad. And it's like, why am I mad? <laughs> I have a choice. <laughs> and so don't be stuck. How did you was there a time when you were stuck in the why, why me mode um, that could help people right now? What was your transformational moment with that, the why me mode? Um, probably the very, very first thing that comes to my mind would be, um, there's two things that are on the very top of my list. One would be um, going through a, a season of life where I had severe anxiety. Um, and... It's very prominent in my family. And I thought, why is this happening? I had just come off one of the best summers of my life. I had no stress going on in my life. I had absolutely no idea why. I mean, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks. And for about a five-week period, I was immobilized. I was paralyzed. And um, through that period of time, 
um, I feel like God, he came and kind of sat with me. I guess that's the best way I could say it. He literally came and wrapped his arms around me. And there was one moment that was so cool, Tina, that I will never forget. I was sitting on my deck and um, the tears were just going down my face because I didn't understand why is this happening to me? And um, I just started singing. I just started singing Amazing Grace. I just thought, get your mind off of the whys and think about who you belong to. Think about who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Think about that. And when I was singing that song, I have this chime that hangs on my back deck. It started chiming in. This sounds really weird, but this is exactly what happened. It started chiming in tune to what I was singing. And it was almost like God saying, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. I promised you I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm right here with you. And I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to walk through it so you can get to it. You know, you, we've heard that so many times. You walk through things to get to them. And I think that was one of the main things. And then the other was um, I've spent many years, many years praying. And you know this from being in the family, many years praying for my oldest son. And um, I'm, still, I'm still in the waiting period. I'm still waiting for seeing what God's going to do. But here's the difference between before when I was stuck in, why aren't you changing this? Now I say, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. You know, I can't wait because I am going to believe you that you have a plan even in this. And even for me personally, seeing what he's done in my life through this, you know, there's a verse in the Bible and it's, um, I think I, I actually have it here. It's, and it says, I'm just going to read this because I think this is so true. You know, we all love the word hope, right? Everybody loves hope. And that is probably my, my most favorite word in the world is hope. Mm -hmm. Because once you give up hope, you give up everything. But this is what it says. It says, um, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope and patience are married. They're a married couple. (laughs) You can't have hope unless you remain patient. We either give up hope and say, well, I've prayed that already, or I've hoped for that already. Nothing's changed. Or we say, I'm going to patiently wait on you and see what you do because you're that big. You're on the huge side of big and the holy side of good. You know, that was, I I remember that in this one song, he's not just a big God. He's on the huge side of big and he's not just a good God. He's on the holy side of good. So you were able to, how do you speak to that person right now? Because I feel, uh, and I agree with you. I think hope is, I think we're in a hopeless society right now. And Mm -hmm. that's, what's really killing our society. And so Mm -hmm. speak to that person right now, because I, I meet and I have so many people in my life, Lori, that have anxiety and they're listening to this right now. And uh, what recommendations would you give to someone that has anxiety, that's constant anxiety? The number one thing I would say is take time in your day to listen to what your thought processes are. Listen to what you're telling yourself and believing about you or your life or the people that are in your life. Start there and see how are those things, how are you, um, how are you marinating those things in your mind? How are you letting those just marinate and grow so that they become more anxious, 
more of a bigger fear. You know, those, those things happen because we tell ourselves certain things, you know, and, and it's really crazy. If you, if you, I think in one of my chapters, I asked people for one, just for one day, just listen, just be really conscientious and listen to what are you, what are you thinking about? What do you thought? You know, it says, um, you know, there's the verse, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. So they go together. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, God, my rock and my redeemer. Mm. So how many times have we said something, but we don't believe in our thoughts or we don't believe it true for us? Oh, that's for them. No, 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 no. You know, he, he wants the very best for you. And, and if you allow your outside circumstances to control you, they're always going to change and they're always going to be shifting. Build your core, your, your inner strength core in your spirit, in your thoughts, you know, build those things because just, just like physically, right? When we go to the gym and we build a core, our core, right? You have to do that spiritually, emotionally, mentally. You have to do those things. Yeah. You know, and nobody does it perfectly because we're all imperfect, right? There's days where I get stuck in the rut. I'm sure you do too, Tina, where you get stuck in a rut of thoughts and you think, oh, 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 oh I need to back up here and remember, you know, we need, we need a moment. And, and we're so busy all the time that people don't take time to really do this. But it's like my, my favorite, favorite time of my day is in the morning. When it's my time, you know, yes, I know you do this too. I journal, I read, and I get set for my day. Yeah. You know, it's important. And I know there's so many people that I talk to and they're like, well, Tina, I just can't get up any earlier than I'm getting, you know, up. And then I'm like, then do it at night. You know, so right. it doesn't matter. Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, get off of that and sit down and start thinking with your thoughts. It's crazy. Um, you know, I didn't, this is so big because Dr. Caroline Leaf, uh, she wrote books on this and she's just incredible. I think she's really paved the way with this. And Dr. Daniel Amen, it's just incredible yes. what those two have done. Uh, Christopher Cook, who I did a podcast with. I heard him. started his wholeness journey and I didn't even realize the negative thoughts that I'm having towards things because the questions he asks in this journal are really big because it's really making me think Lori in the past you know week that I've been doing this and it's been actually I felt calmer because of the questions that he asks and and he does this what we call a C method S-E-E method and so every day I'm doing this method uh, with these questions that he has and it's really been shifting my mindset I didn't even realize I was having these negative thoughts about myself you know these anxious thoughts and so you may not even know that you have anxiety it may be hidden somewhere down in there and but you got you're right you've got to know you have to think about what you're thinking about and most of the time we show it off with tv we shut it off with just drowning ourselves music everything and it's i tell you it's worth it it's worth it to do it and you said something else because um i believe god is a hope dealer and we're hope dealers too and mm -hmm. throughout the whole bible he's just dealing hope to us and when we start dealing out hope to people our life shifts and change and that's what you've done here and you've always been a hope dealer you've been with the family and i believe leadership starts at home and Lori you have been one of those people that have been a mentor to me of mm -hmm. making sure that you are leading well at home Let, let's 
let's go backwards a little bit. I know it's funny, but how in the world did you stay married to my brother, Tom? I'm just kidding. He's incredible. I want to put him on this podcast. I love what he's doing and how he is uh, changing lives in the business world. I always knew he was a coach. He was, he was like a dad to me, a brother, a best friend. He coached me. He was the one that really helped me to become the person that I am today. And, and I really, really honor him for that. But 35 years, how, how'd you do it? <laughs> oh, you know, 35 years with the same person. I never thought that I would be capable of doing that, but, and I'm not, I'm not, it really is. It, it really was a faith journey um, because, you know, we both came to faith in Christ at a certain point, but we've, we've been through some of the hardest things that a marriage could possibly go through. Um, but again, we went through it to get to it. And, you know, we had a, we had a point in our marriage where we were, we were thinking about divorce, you know, this was early on in our marriage and God said, uh, no, I have a plan for you. So I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to provide the right people. And I think if you can get yourself in a community of people who are like-minded that, that really want to have the best for their marriage in this, this particular area, um, that is so key. Um, I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've observed. I'm an observer and I'm a processor and watching different marriages and just saying, what is it about that couple that really impacts me? What do I want to take away from that? And that's what I think um, has happened for Tom and I is that we, um, we complement each other. And even though there's times where I'm sure he wants to just kill me and I want to kill him, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It, we really do. Like, you know, they say, I don't know if you've ever seen the analogy where somebody says, you know, put your hand up and that's say, these are all my, my strengths and mm -hmm. put your hand up. These are all his strengths. Now put them together and his strengths fill in where my weaknesses are and my strengths fill in where his weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that analogy because they, even in with your strengths and your weaknesses, because everybody has them. If you can marry them together the right way, they work. And he is, as you know, he is my entertainment. Like he, yes. he makes me laugh. He keeps me grounded when, because I'm, I'm more of a internal thinker and a deeper thinker. He will help me to get grounded and stable in some of the things I'm thinking, you know, when I get into that, that, but what if, what if he's just like, okay, let's look at it for what it is, you know? So I love that about him. I love that he does that for me, you know? I think the yeah. biggest challenge that I used to do is I used to try to fix it and change Brian. I used to try right. to change my kids and, right. and God said, stop it. That's right. mad. Just stop it. Just fix it. it yourself." fix and change yourself. If it's to be, it's up to me. And I tell you the three words that changed my life were it's my fault because there's somewhere in there, part of it is my fault. So guess what? Just own it and start just leading by example. And it's okay. Right. Just let it go. <laughs> Don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. And I made a mistake, but um, I want to jump into your book a little bit. Cause I know okay. We're starting to go down on time. And I, I want to do another podcast with you because there's so much information uh, coming from you right now. This is beautiful. Uh, but I, I'm going to share one of the stories that I want you to expound on. And then, okay. uh, then oh you boy. <laughs> okay. I'll pick one. You pick one. Uh, this is the one that I, I was looking at uh, this week. And it's He's Not Here uh, in your book. 
And mm -hmm. uh, you wrote down for a short period of my life, I became a part of a growing group of mothers, the working mothers. I have nothing against mothers who work outside of the home. It just wasn't what I would choose. All my life, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but then a divorce put me in a situation that required me to go back to work. Talk about that. Talk about that process, that transformation. Oh, you know, you know, when you're young, you know, everybody has their idea of what they want to be when they grow up. Mm -hmm. And um, I just always, I think God gave me a nurturing spirit. And I'm seeing that show up now with the elderly because of my mom being in a nursing home. But at the time when I was younger, I just pictured that being what better role to be a nurturer than to be a mother. Yeah. And so that was my dream. My dream was to be a mom and, um, you know, and then life threw me a curveball. And I went through a divorce when my oldest son was a year old. And um, I was in a position where I had to go back to work. And I wasn't a believer at the time. And um, quite frankly, I was, I was pretty angry about it because I felt like, God, why should I allow somebody else to raise my child? I want to do that. You gave him to me as a gift, you know? I mean, I believed in God, but I didn't understand him in a way that I do now. And I can remember dropping him off the first time I dropped him off. And I went to work. And I was bawling. I was just bawling my head off. And these two wonderful women came up to me and they said, what's wrong? And I said, you know, my son is with this sitter and I want to be with them. And they just looked at me and they said, you know what, Lori, you being here isn't going to do anybody any good. Go be with your son. And they gave me the freedom to go. But I just, I mean, my heart was broken, Tina, because I felt like my role of what I wanted, my desire, what I wanted was taken away from me. And I didn't understand at the time. Mm -hmm. But now when I look back, I realize that it was going to be kind of a catalyst for um, something God needed to do in me. And this is what happened. Um, I had made my son my life. Mm. And I was one day I was reading the verse, um, those who will lose their life will save it. And God revealed to me, you've made something besides me your life. So I'm going to have to remove that from you so that you can find me. That's what happened. Wow. He used removing what I had made my whole life mm. and showed me, I want you to love that child, but he's not, he's in the wrong position. I should be in that position. And so he had to do that to, to show me. And then he, first, and I'll tell you, it wasn't just that incident. Then he took him completely out of my life. And, you know, because he was from a first marriage, I was married for a year and um, moved him out of my home. And my heart was broken, but it was in that brokenness. It was in that brokenness where I, I can remember being on the treadmill at home where I was, um, felt like I was shedding blood and tears <laughs> it just felt like the blood was going out of me and I remember throwing my hands up and saying God I can't do this and he said finally finally this is where I wanted you to be I wanted you to finally be where you would be dependent on me and stop trying to do it on your own and, and he used my son to do that um it's, it's been a tough journey it's been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because you know what mother doesn't want a full wonderful like you know I think of you often in this Tina I think of your relationship with your son you know it's so engaged and it's so beautiful and I don't have that I'm still in the waiting period 
mm-hmm. you know, but I'm still remaining hopeful. And, you know, it's in that hope. It's good. Where right. God does his greatest work. When he says, wait, it's in the waiting where he does his greatest work. I've, I've realized that. So I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for what he's doing in me and through me because of it. Before I was angry. Now I'm, you know what? I'm okay with this, God, because I know, I know that your hand is all over this. I see it. The fingerprints of God are all over it. I think your next, another book that you need to write is called Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. And I love that you said it's in the waiting where God does his greatest work. And boy, is it it's so hard to wait, right? So Lori, I have to talk about something because we have future professionals in our Paul Mitchell schools. And of course we hire them in our salons. I only hire Paul Mitchell future professionals. And one of the terms that I'm hearing that I heard years ago at Justin's university, when he went to college, uh, was being helicopter parents. Okay. Mm. You must making me think about something, what you just said earlier, you said I had made my son, my life. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then you said, but God says, don't do that because it's like an idol, right? So right. those who lose their life will find it. And so not making just one thing, your job or anything that you do, your life or even your ministry, right? right. Everything. Life, everything. It doesn't matter what it is. And, uh, and so I started thinking about that because we have this huge challenge with our future professionals, their parents uh, trying to continue to parent them in their 20s with us and taking over for them uh, to come to talk to us. Um, They don't know the whole story saying, you know, um, my child, my child, they call them, you know, is, you know, wants to take a leave of absence and they don't feel like anyone's being, you know, listening to them or whatever, even though they've been sitting down with them and the future professional advisor has been coaching them. So they only know one side of the story. Right. And so now I heard there's a story called lawnmower parents now where they like, they'll even go in and talk to bosses when someone gets fired or, or maybe gets a write-up or something, right? So this is like real life happening right now in our country, okay? Parents are continuing to parent their children. And where do you think that comes from, first of all, and talk to that parent and, you know, give them advice as to what to do? My most firm belief is it's driven by fear. Um, Nobody wants to believe that their children are going to go down any path other than something that's successful, something that's purposeful. And when we see our children either choosing things that, from our perspective or maybe even someone else's perspective, that seem harmful or unproductive or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever word it is that you would put, um, we think it's our job to jump in and to fix that you know? Yeah. And it's one of the hardest things to do is watch your children making choices that you would not make or make, want them to make. And to say the, the old great song, I think this song came out for a reason when it did because of our helicopter lawnmower generation, let it go. That every time I hear that song and every time I think I need to jump in, I just start singing that song, you know, (laughs) you got to let it go. Um, Does it, the hardest part for me was I was afraid. This is what my fear was. 
I was afraid that other people would think I didn't care enough about my children if I didn't step in and fix that for them, mm. that they would think I didn't care about them. It felt like dying to myself to let them go because who should, who should be there more than anyone? Their parents, right? I mean, you think that's who's going to be the one that will always be there. Yes, you can always be there for your children, but you cannot rescue them out of their mistakes as adults. Or How are they going to learn? And you have to let your children experience consequences. It's the only way they're going to learn. I mean, think back in your own life. When was your greatest times of learning? It's when you made mistakes or you, you realized, oh, there's consequences to that behavior. If somebody does that for you, how are you going to learn? And I think that's what's happening in our, in our generation now. We're trying so hard to project this perfect parent, this perfect child, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember there was somebody who said to me once, this is when I was really living fully in my perfectionism. I'm sick of your perfect marriage, your perfect kids, your perfect house, your perfect life. And I was so offended by that because it was during a time where my marriage was falling apart. My child was choosing to go live with his dad and didn't want anything to do with me. And they had no clue about, but I had given them a perception that everything was perfect. We need to stop doing that. Life is not always going to be perfect. It just isn't. We live in a fallen world, right? So I know, I agree. It's so hard. I remember Brianna started our school when she was 16. Years old, she uh, became a student in the Paul Mitchell School, and she was a night student. And uh, so my staff at that time were really jealous of her and treated her really bad. I mean, they were doing some bad things, you know. And in my head, I'm like, man, I should just fire them, you know. But then I shut my mouth, and and I remember Brianna would come in to uh, at night because she was in night school, and I'd still I'd be in bed because I go to bed early. She'd wake me up crying, telling me things that happened to her, like just horrible things that would happen to her. Right. And, and I would just be like, you know what, you need to suck it up and you go in there and you be nice and you serve and you lead by example. And that's what I would tell her. So instead of rescuing her, I coached her. And so she'd walk away crying. I would cry myself to sleep. And you know, I didn't want to do that because, you know, of course I felt bad, but I'm telling you, Lori, that's why she's the leader she is today. Right. And That's I'm right. telling you, we could be hindering the growth of our mm-hmm. kids, even if, even if they are victims, because she truly was a victim of what was happening to her. Mm-hmm. But I helped coach her through that instead of, you know, rescuing her. And I could have easily have done that, right? But it, she became an incredible. And I think right now in this day and age, we have business owners that have their kids that are taking over their, their companies. And I have, you know, salons that are doing this. And the, the parents are still rescuing. The staff doesn't like the kid. And they don't want them running the business because they don't lead by example because they're not the hardest worker. And I told Brianna yesterday, I said, it's the hardest job in the world to be the child of a parent in a company. I said, I am so proud of you, of the, per- the leader that you become because the staff just loves her. All of our school mm-hmm. staff, all of the salon staff, because she leads by example, she works hard, you know, so you right. have to work more hard than everybody else. So don't hinder people. And so what I heard you say, so number four on how to be a writer 
is you've got to let your guard down and be transparent and vulnerable. Share right. those stories and share them out loud too, because, mm -hmm. and I believe, you know, you by being transparent and vulnerable, Lori, uh, through that process, that's what helped you become the writer that you mm -hmm. are. Because when you verbally start to express things to people as well, in a teaching moment, right? as well. And I think it's really incredible. What's your favorite story in the book? Probably the number one top story that really comes to my mind every time I think about my book is the one that's called Two Fathers Collide. Mm -hmm. And um, this, was, this was a story during um, my second bout with a, with a um, bout of anxiety. Um, I don't know if you remember that story, but I was at the ministry that I referred to um, and God used my earthly father to speak to me and show me something about himself. And I'm not going to give too much away because I want people to get the book and read it because, but it was just a moment, um, that was so much representative of what I'm talking about. Two worlds colliding where heaven met earth. Um, because it was, he used somebody that I was the last person I thought he would use. And he used him in a way, my father, he used him in a way that I had not experienced before. And then he reminded me that it was through your earthly father, the only way that I could speak into your heart about your heavenly father was to do it through your earthly father. And it just, um, it, it broke, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was like, I can't even <laughs> tell you what I felt in those moments, Tina. It's, I will never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was like the father took my hand and was walking with me and used my father to do it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I highlighted that one, actually, because I wanted to do that today, because that made me cry, too. I just, I, I really want to leave people with that today, because you're never alone. And we're living in a world right now, Lori, and this hit me like a ton of bricks last night when I was reading this again, was we're living in a world that we have more connections than we can imagine because of social media, but we're so isolated that's right. And we need God even more. And, and in a society when people are pushing God away, and I feel like someone's listening right now that needs to know you're not alone and they feel so isolated. Their suicide is on the rise right, right. now. I believe people think that they're alone. Talk to that person right now, Lori, um, that they're never alone from, from your story. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say with what you were saying, Tina, um, we have really lost the art of face-to-face -face connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had an experience, um, about two months ago. There's a, there's a girl who lives in my neighborhood and, um, we, we've had this where she'll drive by down my street and, you know, the old neighborly wave as you go by. Um, but one day she stopped and I went right up to her car and I was talking to her and that opened up a door that just that one minute of taking, stopping what I was doing. I was out gardening, you know, stop what you're doing, go over to her, get eye to eye and face to face with her. And it opened up a relationship for us. And she said to me, this was about three weeks ago. Um, she, we were standing there talking and she said, I don't know if there's anyone in my life who has ever looked at me the way you're looking at me right now, who I feel mm -hmm. like is listening to what I'm saying and understands me in the way that you're, you're relating to me right now. And it really spoke volumes to me because when I think about how many people do activity, life activity, and you think 
you're alone. There's a difference. Like I, I write about this. There's a difference between being lonely and being alone. Yes. And yes. I think there's a lot of people out there that are, they're really lonely, but like you said, they think they're not alone maybe because they're so connected, you know, through social media. You, you can just, you, all around you are people who are feeling the same way you are. It only takes one act of moving. You've got to move towards somebody to let them know that you care. It doesn't have to end people like, well, I'm busy, I'm busy. It can, it can be a one minute conversation that can radically change their day because mm -hmm. you saw them. It's back to that, I see you. I see you. People think that they're invisible, you know, and, and they're not. We, we all need to know that we matter. There's two things that people really, really need. They need to know they're loved and they need to know they matter. And we have the power. We have the power within us to do that. You know, so if we believe we're not alone, we can take that because you're never alone. You know, you're, we're, we're, we're a dimensional being, you know, it isn't just what we see. You know, we all know that there's there's a spiritual component of us. So you're never alone. And when I think about that, I think no matter what God um, allows me to experience in my life or any person that's listening to this, you will never, ever walk through it alone, ever. You can choose that. You can choose to believe that you are, you, you have somebody who sees what you're going through and is interested in what you're going through. Imagine that. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden, you know, squirrel, <laughs> you know, they, they, they just go off and they've asked you a question, but then all of a sudden you start to, to explain to them, you know, about your life or about something going on. And all of a sudden you've lost them. Yeah. God isn't like that. He's like, he's like this. Wow. He's tell me more. Just tell me more. I want to know about you. I'm really interested in you. And right now, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. I'm right here, right here. And I adore you. Tina, he adores you. Like he's looking at you right now. Just think about that. Right this moment, he sees you, he sees me, and he is grinning like a Cheshire cat because he adores us so much. Yeah. And he wants to be so much a part of our lives. It's transformational. It's what you teach about. And you know what? He adores us no matter what we're doing. He unconditionally loves That's us. Right. Even think we're not so good. But I, like, right. no, he doesn't adore me. He adores you, Tina, because you're so good. No, I'm not. Right. <laughs> right. You right. don't see what happens behind closed doors, right? And so, right. you know, oh my gosh, Lori, this, this is really, really, really huge. And, you know, I see you, I think, is probably the quote of the day because here we are we're in this and I do this I'll go into Starbucks and I'm on my phone what am I doing look at the people that are serving you look up I see you just remember this every day that you walk into a restaurant or get put your phone down right? well, here's a little a little tidbit for you um it's it's a it's not um, anything I'm sharing with anybody else just a couple of people know this, but it is actually, I'm, I'm in, in the works with somebody right now for a second book, and that is going to be the title of the book. Oh my gosh, see, I see you. I love it. 
It's beautiful. And because you matter, we, who's ever listening to this right now, you matter. And whether you have to just borrow our belief right now, borrow it, you can take it. Lori, how can people get a hold of you and how can they get your book? Uh, the book is on Amazon and, um, it's also, um, I think you can get it through Barnes and Noble, but I think, um, everyone that I know of that's gotten it has, has gone through Amazon. Um, and then as far as, um, I mean, I'm, I have, a, um, they're in the process right now of building me a webpage, um, which is not complete yet, but they can get a hold of me through, you know, email or they can go on my Facebook. I do have, it's under, um, Lori. Rogers Powers, so they could connect there um, under Messenger until this Facebook page is up and running. Um, they're in the they're in the works right now for those who like um, eBooks. They're in the works right now of getting that ready, oh. but they, because it's the Christmas season, um, it's taking longer for that to get done. So it might be a little bit of time for that. But um, what a great book to order for people on your Christmas list. It's a really easy, fun read it's called what once was hidden by Lori powers and if you want to find her on facebook it's Lori roger powers and by the way it's l-a-u-r-i-e Lori. um so this was entitled be a writer um you need first of all one you need an outlet to express yourself uh number two uh let god illuminate your story for you so you can expand on it uh number three uh, stop being stuck and why did things happen to you? In fact, those are things I call it stage, stage stuff, right? Or writing stuff. And then uh, fourth, I put tra be transparent and vulnerable. Uh, why else uh, should you be a writer? Why else should you be a writer? Yes. Because it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. And it, it can leave a legacy. Who knows? You know, who knows? Think about, just think about history. How many people have been impacted by the written word from whether it's the Bible or it's somebody's mission in life or it's somebody's legacy to their children or their grandchildren or their grandchildren's children? You know, I there's so many times where I go back and I read something that somebody wrote. I have just hundreds of cards that were things that people wrote that bring me back to that moment. So writing just is it's a gift. It really is a gift. Yeah, you know? we, all, we all have a book on us. Every time I speak, I always tell people, I said, who wrote a book? No hands go up. I'm like, start writing it now. And here it go. start writing it. Just, you know, journal. Start with journals like Lori did. Lori turned her book, it, her journals into a book. And you can do it too. I'm sitting in a library, Lori, Lori that I come here every week because I always do my masterminds here. I do a lot of podcasts here. And it's full all the time. And you're right. There's just impact of books that people can, that can people can have because of your written word. So, what last piece of advice do you have for everybody on the call today? How do you want to end this out, Lori? Well, I think everybody should start by hugging Tina for having uh, you know just this incredible <laughs> passion. <laughs> um, you know, I would just say my bottom line um, in life is I would say never ever ever give up hope because once you do that you will walk down into a dark place and you don't want to go there hope one of my favorite favorite verses in the bible is hebrews six nineteen, and this is what it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure 
and they're talking about our relationship with our creator, we have this hope for our soul. Everything we do is comes out of the soul. So get your soul anchored, get it anchored and stay in your hope. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.